Hey, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Get in the Herd. My name is Nathan Mitchell, and I am a person in recovery, and I'm here um, with the McShin Foundation. I am here with the Mick of the McShin Foundation. I'm very honored to have as our special guest here today, uh, Carol McDade. She's uh, she she flew in from. Uh, from <laughs> hardly. <laughs> um, our co-host today, I've got Alex Bond with me. Um, uh, the pleasure, Alex. Thank you for being here. And thank of course, you for having me. Yeah, glad to have you. And of course, Todd over there. Um, am I being a little too scratchy on the mic? I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, getting <laughs> I, I'm a little aggressive today. Um, maybe it's because of the three times the caffeine. Uh, that could do it. Could yeah, do it. Yeah. That could do it. <laughs> Carol, welcome. I asked you to come to the show because um, I knew that there'd be some controversy after yesterday's show. So I knew we'd have to, I knew that we'd have to bring someone in to clean it all up. Um, <laughs> what happened yesterday? Yeah. yeah. Catch us up. Catch us up. Well, I missed it. I was working. It well, all I have to say are two words, John Schinholzer. <laughs> now I had, I had your husband, John. Yeah. Um, and I had, of course, Jesse and honesty who managed day to day here. Yeah. Um, and we talked about, uh, well, among, uh, among the many things we talked about, we talked about how this began. Mm -hmm. And so John had suggested that I ask you how this began to see, to, to hear your perspective on this. And, and when I say this, I mean the recovery community organization that is the McShin Foundation and all the wonderful things that have been going on for almost 16 years now. So what brings you here today and what, what light can you bring to that? Yes. Well, <laughs> I came because I love this idea and I love that visual of that getting the herd thing. And I can remember when John first brought that up, I was kind of like, honey, we don't really want to like treat our participants, like call them an animals. And Cattle. he was like, no, you're missing the whole point, honey. You're not getting it. And um, that's kind of, that's, a good impression. Um, that's sort of um, not an atypical exchange between us. It, there's an old <laughs> saying that opposites attract, you know? And um, the McShim was born out of, I think, sometimes that um, the love and that tension of, of opposites attract with John and I. And the love that we share is not only for each other, but for recovery. Yeah. And so um, and we met in that context. Um, we met at a uh, golf 12 uh, step golf tournament in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And we when I, I lived my entire adult life in Washington, D.C., I worked there as an advocate full time uh, and I work in the addiction and mental health space. And he can we decided John has a, a daughter, which I claim is my own. <laughs> and we decided it'd be better for me to do the commuting back and forth rather than to have the whole family trying to split time between D.C. and Richmond. So. Um, after I got settled in and we moved, we, we lived right. We lived outside of Richmond. Um, I was doing all of this work nationally. And um, I noticed that John, like me, had a real commitment to um, helping people who need help for addiction, but he was bringing everybody home mm. right to the house. And when I first met John, Mary Page, his daughter, our daughter was like five, maybe. And we have we have four or five sofas in our house. We're really lucky. And once all of them got filled um, and you might ask yourself, well, watch out. What? Why was he bringing everyone home that he was trying to help? 
he had he had always had Oxford houses um, mm -hmm. before he started the McShen Foundation. And he was sort of in between because he had started a new venture that was taking all of his time. So he didn't have Oxford houses. And at the time in our community in Virginia, we have what's called community service boards. And those are the entity that received the dollars from Washington for people who do not have any means to pay for their own health care for their uh, addiction and mental health care. And there was a 23 day waiting list mm -hmm. for help if you were indigent. And at that time, Medicaid only covered in the way of addiction. Uh, they had addiction coverage for if you were a single, a pregnant woman or a woman with children. So if you were a single male, you were, as my husband would say, SOL. Um, so that whole notion that I'm running around sort of trying to um, both expand treatment availability for the rest of the country, for the clients that I worked for. And there was this really nascent, growing, just barely one or two stalks of grass, growing recovery movement happening. And I thought, and I'm doing nothing in my own backyard and people are dying. Yeah. This just isn't sitting right. And with John bringing everyone home, um, you can see how this might not be the best environment for a little girl, yeah. you know, everybody coming right out of jail. I was fine with it, but we had more to think about than John and I, and we run out of space. I mean, it just was a sheer space deal. And this was kind of in the middle of the crack ep epidemic. And I can remember we had somebody who was severely underweight, almost die in our driveway when he kind of passed out. Yeah. Um, and I thought, you know, we got to make this more, official and organized and that kind of thing. And so I said that to John and of course I'm thinking you write a business plan, you have multiple conversations about this, you think through who your board of direct you want on, on a board of directors. Um, and that weekend we had what still to this day is one of the funnest campouts in, in Virginia. It's called Brana, mm -hmm. and we were all there. Everybody went every year, and um, John and I and one of his brothers, we were sitting around the campfire talking about this idea, and it was, in my view, it was a conversation and a discussion. It was a brainstorming kind of a thing, like what it would look like and that kind of thing, and then, so that was on a Saturday night, and Monday afternoon, I'm, you know, rocking and rolling in DC and I get a phone call from John and I'm like, Hey, honey, I'm busy. What's up? And he's like, Oh, I just filed for uh, incorporation for that nonprofit. And I was like, what nonprofit? And he's like, but the one we talked about Saturday night, <laughs> I was like, honey, we have, you filed for it. And he's like, yeah, I mean, you know, we got to figure out the name and you know, a few other, <laughs> a few other things, but you know, yeah. And, you signed off on it on Saturday night. I was like, signed <laughs> off on it? No, we talked about it, but that he's like, well, it's done now. And, uh, you know, I think I'm pretty sure Rubicon's going to give me a little bit of space and Daniel Payne's going to give me an old phone that he had. So, and a coffee pot. So we're good. We're going to open Monday. And I, I mean, tomorrow we're opening tomorrow. And I was like, honey. <laughs> so that's how it, it went from idea to action, which is how John likes to operate. 
And this is that yin and yang I'm talking about. Okay. I probably, you could probably fairly accuse me of overthinking things. <laughs> Analysis paralysis, my mother would call that. Yes. Mm. I'd like to say that I'm somewhere in the middle, but I think John would tell you it's analysis paralysis. Mm. I like to like maybe proof a document once before it goes out. <laughs> you know, I don't call that analysis paralysis. John's just throwing John, spaghetti until something sticks. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Having said that though, that oftentimes can, he can get away with things I can't. Let me just put it that way in terms of th those kinds of things. Um, if it's got spelling errors, that means yeah. it's authentic. Yeah. It's because um, John, well, and John has, you know, dyslexia. So that's why there are spelling errors. Oh, I never things. even knew that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, it's not diagnosed because back in his day, you, you didn't go and get your kid diagnosed. Sure. With that, but all you have to do is spend any time with him and, watch him read and watch him spell. And it's pretty straightforward that that's. Well, whenever, whenever I spend a lot of time with him, it, it, it tends to be in front of a chalkboard uh, talking about <laughs> yeah. three-legged stools yeah. and, and, and which is great information. Yeah. I, yeah. I highly, if you haven't yet sat in his office and had him give a lecture to you as an individually, mm -hmm. um, you need to do this. <laughs> <laughs> because you will learn and, and and John's passion and your passion and and the work that you do and the work that John does um you know really does save a lot of lives and I understand and I didn't know this um until yesterday but I understand that when you first started out it, it was a it was a essentially just a big group um when did the housing part come into place when did you start getting the people off of your couches yeah um that was really about um i would say a year after um we we started in 2004 so i think in 2005 john had always been you know he was a paint contractor and he was because of that, you know, you kind of see around town what's available in terms of mm -hmm. real estate. And he'd always had partners that he partnered on real estate. And he could, he knew the bones of a good house when he saw one and always kept up around town about what's for sale, what's the right market and neighbor, that kind of thing. So he already, already had that kind of expertise. And he knew somebody that could fix about anything. Um, just because when you're a contractor, you know, plumbers, you know, mm -hmm. floor guys, you know, builders, you know, carpenters, you know, and, um, as he would tell you, he's always waiting on them before he could go in and paint. So, um, he quickly realized that housing was a big need. We knew that already given that we were taking people in, but I'd say it was, it was just about a year before he had partnered on a house with somebody and, and got people into housing. So what, what were the um, challenges and the maybe pushback or the, the, or maybe not pushback that happened uh, right off the bat? Um, yeah. I mean, I think that, so we were sort of building the airplane and flying it at the same time <laughs> in terms of, which is sort of, you know, the McShin way. Um, I think of Howard but, Hughes and the Spruce Goose. But well, I mean, sort of the whole recovery community was building recovery community organizations and sort of building a movement and also building RCOs um, at the same time. And one of the first challenges that we had is that we got a we partnered with some local partners 
um, on a uh, what's called a recovery community support grant. Mm -hmm. And we had a difference of opinion about how that grant ought to go forward. And um, there was a guy named Bill White, who is sort of the, I would say, the patron saint of the modern recovery movement. Um, he is an eloquent writer and he had monographs about each element of the recovery, uh, ex modern recovery experience and the modern, uh, what makes a recovery community organization, what makes good recovery housing, um, what kinds of services should be in a recovery support service. He was doing all this writing and researching about that. And I would bring these things home from Washington. John would read it and we would incorporate it into the way that we ran McShin with John's spin, right? His practical down to earth spin. Cause Bill wrote in a very academic way. And as, as I mentioned, John struggles mm -hmm. with reading and he would basically, when Bill would come out with a new monograph, he would kick Mary Page and I out of the house and he would, <laughs> you know, what takes me an hour takes him, three hours to read and he would study these monographs like they were the Bible literally. And that formed the foundation of how we built McShin. We modeled it after Bill White's monographs in his writings. And, and we also built in that, and this is really, really important that each person has the, the, duty and the obligation to help carry this movement that this whole thing about staying in church basements and people like me um, getting better as a result of my recovery and then keeping it a secret um, something that I had to do early in my career mm -hmm. was starting to um, it, around 2000 there was this new put a face on recovery movement. And um, I helped was a founding board member of Faces and Voices of Recovery. And as that organization was getting started, McShin was, and John had always been open about his recovery. And I was open about mine, except for at work, because I had bosses who said, hey, you want to represent Hazel and Betty Ford and talk about it with them? That's great. But other than that, mom's the word. <laughs> You know, and um, <laughs> that was starting to feel like I was sleeping with sand in my sheets. Mm -hmm. um, mm. I hear here's this great movement happening all around me, but I have to keep it a secret. And so in um, in 1999, my mentor died, unfortunately, at, an, at my old firm. And he was one of the ones he was old school. He's like, you know, he was the one that helped me sort of start down this path of um representing people, uh, representing addiction and mental health interest. I don't know if you've heard this story about this. Not, not completely. But, um, you know, I when I first interviewed at his firm as a lobbyist, healthcare lobbyists were in high demand because Hillary and Bill Clinton mm. at the time were getting ready to massively change the whole health system. So I was sort of a mid-level trade association lobbyist, not somebody that brings in business and all that kind of thing. But because the demand was so high, People were grabbing anybody that could that knew anything about healthcare. So when I went and interviewed for this firm, and it was like to be a vice president, which was like two or three steps above where I was, but I thought, you know, what the heck? I'll go 
go on the interview. First thing he does is lay down a uh, piece of paper and said, these are the clients we have. And right at the top was Hazelton and the rest were in alphabetical order. And being a, you know, a tried and true conspiracy theorist, I had gone to as a patient to Hazelton and thought that this was his way back then. You know, nobody talked about it. It was all a big, shh, you know. So um, he said, do you know who they are? We just signed them. And I said, yeah, I know who Hazelton is kind of defensively, you know, thinking, <laughs> you know, he knows that I've been up on bars on Capitol Hill dancing on the tables. He just doesn't want to say it. And so I said, yeah, they're alcohol and drug rehab. And he goes, okay, well, we just signed them. I have no idea what they want, but if you take this job, that's the first thing you got to do is fly up there. Cause these people like they, they hug and it's not really, <laughs> it's not really clear. I'm not really clear what the hell they want in a healthcare bill. And like, they're a little, you know, like they're, touchy feely. And, you know, back in those days, like he was a sm cigar smoking lobbyist, like worked for the oil and gas industry. Like this whole thing was like, a, healthcare was like a mystery to him. And it was kind of a whole new area that was hot at that time. And he's like, you, you, you would deal with them. So I'm thinking he knows, he knows I'm never going to get this job. So a couple of weeks go by long story short, I get the job. I got to fly out there. And my sponsor at the time says, never let your boss be surprised. Cause I, I noticed on their letterhead that my counselor, when I had gone there was an advisor to the board. And I thought, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to walk into that room and she's going to be like, Oh, Carol and wrap her arms around me. So mm -hmm. I go in and, you know, he's got this big seat, you know, but this big office with the high ceilings and the old woodwork and he's, smoking a cigar and going through papers. And I was like, Duffy, before we, um, and I waited till the last second cause I'm procrastinating. <laughs> so the night before we're supposed to take off for the flight to Minneapolis, I'm like, I gotta tell you something. I went to Hazelwood, he signed the papers, doesn't look up because would you go there for a conference? He's like, yeah, I'm kind of busy. You know, he always called me Mac Dade. And uh, <laughs> he was from New Orleans and, um, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, he really, it, he was like a classical figure. Anyways, he said, um, I said, no, I was a patient there. And he stopped and there's this pregnant pause and he looks up, and puts his cigar down. He pushes his chair back and he gets up and he paces. And I'm thinking, oh my God, my poor mother, I've sent out these, you know, these um, announcements that Carol McDade has been made a you know, partner at this firm, blah, 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 blah. I was so proud and I was so over my head. I was like <laughs> drinking from a fire hose. I had no idea how to develop, <laughs> develop business or anything. I'm like so far over my head, you know, this is back before there's email. You have to send these <laughs> massive FedExes out every night of like a, that, you know, 200 page healthcare bill out to wall street and everywhere else who's trading on this information. It was crazy time back then. But anyways, and um, he says, uh, he says, he's pacing. I'm thinking, okay, well, that was nice while it lasted. That was a cushy office I had. Never, first time I'd never had to share an office, you know, with a, have my own door and everything. <laughs> so anyway, so he goes, McDade, they're going to think I'm a genius. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out to Minneapolis. I mean, he was like. You know, he had a little hustle to him, right? You know, he wasn't far from us, you know. His father was an alcoholic. He wasn't, but he goes, here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. We're going to go out there. 
you're going to block and tackle so none of them touch me or hug me. You know? <laughs> I only do handshakes, MacDate, okay? MacDate. And, and, then, and then we're going to tell them I hired them just to be their lobbyists. And I got one of their own. And that, and and then after them, we're going to go get Betty Ford. And then we're going to get the, I don't know who the rest of them are, but I know that one's name. And you're going to become the addiction lobbyist in Washington. <laughs> and obviously today there's plenty more addiction lobbyists than me. But at the time, early on, other than people who worked at trade associations who had multiple other jobs, there were not many people because nobody was getting paid adequately. So who could afford a lobbyist when no one was paying for addiction treatment? People were only rich people were going or very poor people. And that was kind of, there was no insurance coverage for an average treatment stay at that time in the nineties and early two thousands and still hard today, unfortunately, despite a law that we've gotten passed. So anyways, that's, I did not sit back and think up my career path. He laid it out that day and I just followed. <laughs> but in that, in that work is how I came to meet people like Bill White and bring home John these monographs in which McShin was modeled after. Yeah. Well, so, so I, I want to continue that story a little further. Yeah. Um, what, what happened when you went to Hazelden? What, what happened with them and, and going forward? Uh, some of the legislative successes you've had because yeah. I've had a few. Yeah, we we have that the the meeting went well, just as Duffy predicted. They thought this was the most fabulous thing in the world that they were going to have one of their own alumnus be their 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 lobbyist, their face and voice on Capitol <laughs> Hill. They couldn't have been more thrilled. Um, he did what every good supportive boss should do, which is MacDade, your expert. You know when they would keep. And some of the men on the board or whatever would keep because I was young at the time. And would they keep looking over at him? You're still young. They 60 and sassy this month. <laughs> That's right. Happy birthday. Um, they would, you know, it's normal guys. Men tend to unfortunately look at old men, their peers yeah. and talk to them, especially when there's big dollars involved. And uh, he'd say, you better look at Magadade. She's the one. She's the, she's your guy. She's your gal. That's her right there. She knows all the answers. I don't know y'all stuff. And he would, he would, he would always promote me and lift me up, even maybe when I didn't have all the answers. <laughs> but as Fake, a result of you make that, it, right? that's right. And there was a lot of that that first. Well, maybe year. that even gave other people the opportunity to listen to you more often too. Well, it did. Mm -hmm. It did, and it forced me that if they were listening, I'd better be learning something worth listening to, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. I had to really hustle and um, get up to speed quick. And I, through the work with them, um, I built a coalition of other treatment centers, ultimately started working for all the Association of the Addiction um, Physicians and many other clients. And uh, you definitely don't go it alone in Washington. People build mm. coalitions to get things done. And there was a coalition built, um, started, we started it in 2007. And we got a bill passed and it took 12 years, unfortunately. Um, but uh, when you're fighting the health insurance industry, they are quite a formidable opponent. And um, with a bunch of underpaid um, treatment centers and um, uh, personal families of loss and advocates that are all underfunded, and mental health and addiction groups that did, at that time did not get along and were not working together. 
and had different. What? Yeah. What? You mean people working against each other yes. in the same movement? Yes. No. Oh, it's hard to no, believe, that's isn't crazy. it? But I think that slowed <laughs> us down, as you can yeah. imagine, as it does, as lack of unity does. And but we finally got the bill passed in 2008. We started in 96. Um, Mrs. Ford and Betty Ford and Rosalind Carter um, had came and kind of testified in Congress. And that kind of kicked off the beginning of that movement. They're both heroes of mine to this day. Um, still in touch with Mrs. Carter a little mm. bit. Um, and um, th that bipartisan nature was really important. Um, and that bill, interestingly, passed attached to the bailout bill. I don't know if y'all remember when all the banks oh, started I to go under um, during the whole real estate, you know, mortgage crisis. something like 2008. that. Okay, yeah. And the first, they were going to bail out the banks mm -hmm. to the tune of $700 billion, right? And the first bill goes down. And then they brought back and brought it up again. And the chairman of the banking committee at that time, a guy named Chris Dodd, was best friends with Patrick Kennedy and his father. <laughs> okay. And he knew that sucker was going to have to pass or we were going to go into a recession deeper than the Great Recession. So he attached the parity bill to that $700 billion bailout bank bill because it had passed in the House by like 392 to 8. Like it was like a massively mm. bipartisan bill. So he knew that that would help shove that thing. Like who wants to vote against mental health and addiction in the middle of a election year? that had passed in the house with a huge bipartisan majority. It'd be like voting against baseball and apple pie, right? So he attached that to the bailout bill to make it a little bit more palatable and to sweeten the pot. That's a lot of leverage, yeah. <laughs> well, that's how politics Absolutely. is played, yes. And that's, if you look at our bill, it is attached to that. It, it The public law number is actually the bailout That is bill. cool. Yeah. And I mean, you can't buy, I mean, <laughs> miracles like that have happened in our work so many times. If that had not come along, I mean, and even though it has become the law of the land, of course, many insurers are still thumbing their nose at it and we regularly go after them and they get fined and then they keep on getting it. Some have done better and many have not. And um, it will be, I'll be working on that to my last dying breath to make sure that that law is fully enforced. Cause it's been a, a lifetime. I'm 20 years in on that law, it's regulations and it's enforcement. And is, is that because it's cheaper to pay the fines than it is to actually, that's correct. Yeah. That's, that's, or that's their perception. That's, perception. that's the perception. And there's also this um, obsession that many insurers have that they hate residential treatment. Mm. And, um, you know, obviously residential treatment is not called for for everybody. It's not it's not a one size fits all illness, obviously. And for many people, including those with opioid use disorder alone, um, you know, outpatient MAT might be in conjunction with peer supports might be a better way to go or uh, a peer recovery community organization might be, a, you know, located near where someone lives might be a better way to go. There's all kinds of different pathways in here at McShim. We support them all, mm. but insurers have a special hatred for residential treatment because it's the most 
to the more expensive level of care, even when they're paying more in ED, multiple ED visits. And I say this not as a, in an offhanded way, but in an informed way after sitting around the table with them literally for decades. Yeah. This is not an off the cuff remark I make. They no, have you're a, the expert. They have a special passion mm -hmm. and hatred for that residential level of care. Um, have there been some abuses? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We've seen some people do the perp walk in handcuffs mm -hmm. and they deserved it. But to just when we have, you know, uh, patient placement criteria done by physicians and consensus based medical standards that say for some people, like if you've got an alcohol or a benzo problem, you need to be in residential level of mm -hmm. care monitored by nurses and doctors every three and four hours. Mm -hmm. So there is a place for it, but not in their thinking. So that, that was really one of the biggest fights. Same thing with eating disorder treatment. They don't want to pay the higher levels of care. And that's been the big issue. But we've had success in other bills that didn't take so long, <laughs> which is really fantastic. So unfortunately, I would say Congress woke up to the opioid epidemic in 2014 when Philip Seymour Hoffman died. I kind of marked that as the time where obviously the Northeast had been just decimated already for five, 10 years with opioid problems. But Congress itself woke up to it when he died. And this is where planning and pep preparation and people like me who are thinking, you know, you got to think and plan three steps ahead. We were ready yeah. when we knew that somebody famous or a congressman's kid or relative had to die before they were going to. Yeah. Because even ones like Downey Jr. Just rehabilitating is almost like not good. Not enough. enough. Yeah. Yeah. We had to have somebody who was a real, famous, famous, famous person die in a very tragic way, which he did obviously he had a long-term recovery and then relapsed after, you know, almost 20 years. Yeah. Um, and then that broke the floodgates and we were ready. The coalition was built. Um, there were and within a year we got, which for the addiction field is big. We got a couple, we got a billion or $2 billion. And then the next year we got another billion or $2 billion in the next year. So there we've gotten the comprehensive addiction and recovery act passed in 16, uh, cures in 16 CARA, the comprehensive addiction recovery act in 17. We've had, um, the opioid response grants that have gone out to the States. So it's been like $7 billion that have gone out for the opioid epidemic. And this is obviously, like I said, these are coalition efforts. You cannot, there is no one lobbyist that does this themselves. And this has been because people like people at McShin and our family members and the community, they write in, they call in, they've been advocates with us. They go up to the Hill. They talk to state legislatures. I'm a big believer that advocates grow where they're planted. It starts right here where you are. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, you can, come to Washington and do these kinds of things with me. But it starts with talking to your next door neighbor whose kid has a problem and being willing to say, I understand this and I know where you can get some help, that kind of thing. I know people or I, I have had this problem yeah. and I want to give, I want to transmit hope 
to you for a better life because it can happen. Because mm. people get so beat down about it. Well, this is a good opportunity perhaps to pivot mm -hmm. because uh, you also mentioned Faces and Voices of mm -hmm. Recovery. Mm -hmm. And you were a founding board member. Mm -hmm. um, and I know the work that, that, that Favor does um, has really, you know, trickled down into the work I do, the work mm -hmm. everyone here at McShin yeah. does. Um, what was your role initially and how do you see Faces and Voices of Recovery as it was, as it's growing? And and I'm just spitballing. I don't have uh, any real thoughts of where to go with this conversation other than I would like to hear your take on this. Yeah. You know, when we started, um, it was real touch and go. I don't think many people know this, but they did not want to let me on the board because I, re <laughs> I represented treatment centers. Ah. And back then, you know, if you read Bill White's Slaying the Dragon, which hmm. is a history of the recovery movement, treatment and recovery got intertwined early on and that ended and um, uh, complicated and polluted the authentic recovery voice got sort of bought out, if you will, by treatment. And so there was these lessons learned as we should have about treatment, not infiltrating the new modern recovery movement. And I think there was some concern that, oh, you know, Hazelin publishes all this recovery stuff and she's Hazelin's lobbyist and she's going to be like a Trojan horse or something for, and, here I was at home, we were building this new thing and, you know, I was anything. I was a true recovery. I think you've probably seen people call me a zealot, you know, the insurance companies certainly do. Um, so it was kind of funny at the time I had to fight and prove my way onto the board that my goal was about recovery only and not about treatment. So we got on the board and we were really all about advocacy and we were also about, um, we had a survey done by Peter Hart, who's a big, you know, pollster. And it showed that 70% of Americans thought the term in recovery meant you were still using, you were trying to stop, but that you were still using alcohol or other drugs. And we were like, oh my God, we've been talking this language to each other and no one in the public gets it. <laughs> so one of our first goals right out of the box was to try to, what can we do to change this language so that the public stop talking to ourselves in church basements and start talking in a language that the public understands. So that's when we first started that training. And you'll hear a lot of people say, you know, my name's Carol. I'm a woman in long-term recovery or I'm a woman in recovery. And for me, that means, and then you say among you say anything you want, but for me, that means I'm alcohol and drug free for over 21 years mm -hmm. because the public did not know that that meant for many of us. And that's not true for everybody because there's different pathways. But for those of us who had an abstinent pathway, we wanted to make sure people understood that that meant that it's not just that we weren't trying to stop using drugs that we had stopped and that that stopping had allowed us to go on. And for me, one of the things I talk about is that it allowed me to be a wife, a stepmom and a businesswoman. And those first two were really important because I had been told my entire life that you're not the Marian type. You know, mm -hmm. You're a wild Irish rose, you know. <laughs> and let me just point out for a moment, Carol, <laughs> your husband and your stepdaughter are both watching right oh, now. Good, so good, good, that's good, pretty, good. And, and we've got a, a Debbie Rosenbaum too over there. Good to see you, Debbie. Um, so that's yes. incredible. Yeah, yeah. And I, of course, I never thought I'd 
be a mom. And Wild so, Irish Rose. <laughs> yeah. So Mary Page was a bonus that I didn't even know I needed or wanted in my life and still is today. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 Mary Page also works in the same she in this does, industry too. Which so. which both John and I can tell you we were totally hands off about. That was not <laughs> any of our doing. She that was all her. Her choice and her doing. Yeah. She did not use anybody's connections. And had she asked us, we you, who knows what we might have told her about whether or not that was a good choice or not. But <laughs> um yeah, she, that was all her own. I have, a, I have a question for you. So ask away. I hear a lot in your story about sacrifice. A lot of different, you know, having to commute to Washington, um, the beds at the home, the not being able to be forthright in recovery. Um, I hear just a lot of different versions of sacrifice. How has mm -hmm. that impacted you, like throughout your story? And do you think that's like intrinsic in everyone in recovery, or do you think it affects people differently? You know, I think that um, everybody has, there are trade-offs in life, you know, and mm -hmm. everybody has to make them. And I used to believe as a woman that I could do it all, you know. Um, I'm not so sure that I don't still believe that. I'm just not sure I can do it all at the same time really well, <laughs> right? So um, they are... You know, having a recovery community organization, I think sometimes people think, oh, you know, they're such like, you know, uh, wonderful givers or or far from philanthropists. But you know what I mean, that, that we do this because we're, you know, only just so giving and all of this. We do this because this helps us stay in recovery. Mm. That is first and foremost. So the sacrifice yeah. Are there some sacrifices for me to live in Richmond and work in Washington? Yeah. I mean, I could, I've got 95 memorized and I have nightmares about it, but mm -hmm. um, I also have a lovely home office. I have an incredibly supportive owner of my parent company who lets me work from home as much as I need to. I've been working from home, you know, for two months now because of COVID. Um, so the sacrifice of helping people, is also an incredible benefit. There are some of us that will call a friend of mine who's a, a clinician calls it the deep end of the pool. The people that are the people who have this serious substance use disorder, I guess the clinicians would call it, you know, you're on the deep end of the pool. You're, you're, you, you're drowning, right? For many of us who are the deep end of the pool addict, we have to help people in order to keep it. Mm -hmm. I tried it. I completely agree. With I that. would love, I would love to just like, you know, on Saturday nights or Saturdays to just go to Nordstrom's and run my errands and, you know, not pick up phone calls from all of my sponsees, never call my sponsor, not get on zoom meetings out of town or whatever. Um, I have to help people in order to stay in recovery. And when I don't stay in recovery, I get suicidal. And I figured that out by by experience. So it's not so much about using anymore about me. It's about thinking that um, I'll never, ever be able to stay clean. So I might as well, hmm. you know, that there's some of us that are constitutionally incapable or whatever. And I'll get into that pity party kind of a mm. blah, blah, blah. I'm different. I'm unique. And I might as well off myself in some 
fashion or method. So I have to help people. So sacrifice, yeah, helping myself too while helping other people, win-win. <laughs> yeah, that too. But yeah, when you're married to John, um, you know, recovery comes first around our house. And um, the, I knew that going in though. I didn't get married till I was 39 years old. Like there wasn't the whole, like there, there wasn't much I didn't think through in advance. Mm -hmm. So I made that trade off knowingly, but yeah, some of us, we, we, we choose to make sacrifices because otherwise we don't make it. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like, but I don't say that everybody else has to be all in. Like if you were where the ropes are in the middle of the pool, mm -hmm. Knock yourself out, work your own kind of program. Like I have, there's a, uh, I have a relative here in town and he has a very different program than I do. And, and I've always, I've always told him, you know, you don't have to like be all in like, you know, the McShins over at our house. Like, you know, you don't have to stand on a soapbox and preach the stuff like, and live it out loud and all the time like we do, hmm. but that's what we have to do for us. And, and then there's all this benefit of all the love you get back. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is a certain thing of, of looking across a table and seeing when the light goes back on in somebody's eyes, who's come to you with just totally dead, just that flat, flat affect, the drugs just rob you of your soul. Mm -hmm. And then boom, it like, woohoo, like it comes back that what a gift not many people get to see human being come back to life. <laughs> I don't care what religion you practice. Like we get to, and then we get to see them have kids and like go on and do all this other cool stuff. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty big gift. Sacrifice, maybe gifts, lots of them. Hmm. Wonderful answer. That's exactly yeah. what I wanted to hear. <laughs> Yeah, what is, what is it in the 11th step prayer? It is in giving that we receive. Absolutely. And, and I, I go to that a lot. Um, one thing. And it, in, in, in giving, we stay alive. I mean, yeah. It, it, it's more, for some of us, like I said, not everybody's in the deep end of the pool. I got to do it. Mm -hmm. I got to be all in. Other people I know, they're married to people that drink. That's fine for them. For me, not so much. Yeah. was not going to work. Yeah. I had to be with part of a member of the all in club, but I don't like, you know, hold it against people who aren't. That's and the, the embracing multiple pathways, mm -hmm. um, something that I didn't, I didn't know much about anything when I got here, but things I've learned while I've been a participant and now a staff member with the McShin foundation, um, understanding or having a better understanding of my own pathway, but also mm -hmm. other pathways and respecting that mm -hmm. as a person who is out uh, with coalitions and or other organizations, yes. being able to understand, respect, appreciate, um, and not let it affect my own recovery, mm -hmm. separating that out. But one of the biggest things I've gotten here um, at the McShin Foundation is my voice back. Mm -hmm. And it's not John's voice. It's no. not Carol's voice. Mm -hmm. It's not Jesse's voice. It, or honestly, it's my voice. Mm -hmm. And 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 feeling that support, and being encouraged to spread that to others. You know, it's like I I I'm gonna be a, a recovery 
person. I'm going to yeah. be a person in recovery. And, and I, I'm, I, here's, here's what worked for these people here. This might work for you, but also here are the tools you can go and explore and learn on your own. We're going to support that too. It's, I've never worked anywhere like that before. And I have to say it's somewhat sometimes suspicious. I'm somewhat suspicious um, since I, I come from backgrounds of people who, you know, I want to take advantage of a situation. They want to take advantage of me, mm -hmm. but to come here and to actually find when I do surrender, Mm -hmm. You know, and I work at 12 step fellowship yep. when I do surrender. And that means in all my life, <laughs> um, I am so much better off because it, it's, it, it's genuine. Yep. That authentic is here. You know, that authentic is in the, Oh, cocksucker, you know, yeah. it's yeah. there everywhere. Yeah. Um, well, and we also know that, um, the more people we get to be advocates, the more likely somebody online or somewhere is going to connect with you mm -hmm. that thinks, what's that old windbag, you know, <laughs> You know, I, I, he makes sense to me. You make sense to me. You're like me, you know? So the more people we get doing it, that's why I say grow where you're planted. Yeah. Because we're trying to um, spread recovery and identification is so important. And I can remember, you know, my old thing was as much as I look like, you know, you're the lady next door. I used to like bad boy types, right? <laughs> <laughs> so anybody that looked clean cut or was in the military or was, you know, of a certain political party or any of that um, just, just was not of interest to me. And um, I can remember I'd go into meetings and think, yep, no, yep, no, <laughs> yep, no. Mm -hmm, oh, mm -hmm. I'm going to get up and go get coffee in front of him and, you know. <laughs> And so as much as how awful that is and how much pain that put me, that pursuit of emotionally unavailable bad boys put me through um, near death experiences many times in recovery on my dad and, and shameful ones too. Um, yes. Um, it, it teaches, it, it, it is very human to want to be attracted to a particular type of person. So the more people we get involved, the better. It's a numbers game. It's it's totally it's like fishing. <laughs> like, it's like fishing. <laughs> it's totally it's like fishing, dropping lines in the water Absolutely. and seeing what who connects with whom. Yeah. Because we know. I mean, uh, for sure. And unfortunately, social media has taught taught us that. I mean, you know, sometimes some of these comments you get are blistering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, we've had. We've had a. Uh, what was the controversy yesterday? You never answered it directly. <laughs> no, there was. Oh, okay. He, he he told me to ask about how the thing was founded, and he said that oh, you'd okay. have a different answer. And oh yeah, I he the the, your answer the controversy was the same, actually. <laughs> is that I came up with the name, and he says he came up with it. Oh wow. Yeah, we were in bed one night, and I said, "What about McShun?" And he makes it up that he. <laughs> Orville drew up the blueprints of the plane. Yeah. Wilbur actually yeah. flew it. Yeah. Who was the first yeah. one to fly? He definitely <laughs> flies the plane, though, with mm. you, you all and his team. There's no mistaking about that. Carol does not fly the plane. Carol learned early on that she could either be married to John or tinker around under the hood of McShun. And it's <laughs> I prefer to stay married than tinker around under the hood of McShun. Yeah. Well, I have to say McShin is much better than Shindade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> well, we kind of wanted the Irish thing. 
And I did work I like with that. an art student on the um, first logo who was an art student at VCU that was in recovery. And that's the, 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 the two hearts that, uh -huh. sort, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, I, the, and the, it was supposed to be like Gaelic kind of thing around it. Mm. And, um, some, but some people think it looks like native, look like native American, which is why we had a, redesigned but anyway <laughs> I, I, I think it looks like uh i think it looks like those little swords that they use in yeah, cocktails yeah sticking in it's you know? supposed to be gaelic but that has <laughs> see a that now, reflection <laughs> of my poor drawing skills or communication <laughs> skills to her there's a subtle nod to a 12-step mm -hmm. fellowship in here well actually it's a not so subtle nod to yes. a 12-step fellowship in here as well yes there is um uh <laughs> which we got spanked for but well it is, it is what it is it is what it is right my intentions were good acceptance <laughs> is the answer to all of my problems yes. today so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but the, so so this does bring up a good point um we we've been locked down for two months in in a sort of weird state you know the, of, of, of the world right now um going forward because recovery is all about connections. And you talked about the hugging and how we're not really doing that. When you walked in the door earlier, I said, are you hugging or are you elbow bumping? And, you know, we elbow bumped, which is weird for me. It is weird. It is weird. And and around here, we're hugging people around in here. In Washington, that's all that's done now. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And <laughs> it's funny, the politics. So, so side note, I was in Washington March 6th, right? It was the mm -hmm. day after the conference. Mm -hmm. And that day we visited all 13 offices of our Virginia delegation. delegation right. Mm -hmm. And every office was handling nice it job. different. Yeah, it was, it, well, and, and by the way, next time I do that, I will plan better so that I'm in one building at a time instead of crossing <laughs> back and forth. This is I, one of the things lobbyists do for you. <laughs> well, Just in case, a little infomercial yeah. there. Harris we is, line you yeah. up so you're on the house side and then the Senate side. That's, that's but there's good. always cancellations, so you can't... It, Best we, laid plans. We had a I'm really blast. just kidding. But we had That's a good. blast, That's you good. know. And we talked, we had some really good conversations. It was just an introduction. I, I got, to, and I'd yeah. set up most of the appointments in advance and met some people. Uh, the one congressman who had just lost a, a brother or a brother in law. Mm -hmm. um, I've got the notes actually right yeah. here. And so it was a great, it was just a great conversation, but every office was different in how they were handling the very early parts of the mm -hmm. COVID nonsense. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some were still shaking hands and some oh, were wow. not. And, yeah. And some were very political about it. Oh, this is nonsense. Yeah. And mm -hmm. clearly the world has changed a lot since then. It has. We're going to create a new normal. We are. And that's going to um, really be driven. Recovery is going to be driving you know, what we're doing now is going to be driving how recovery looks even five, 10 years from now mm -hmm. by what happens now. What do you see as a future for this new normal? Well, I mean, I guess first, you know, a couple of just data points, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more on Saturday night, but um, for every point that uh, every percentage increase in the unemployment rate, mm -hmm. modeling shows that suicides and overdoses go up and we i saw today we're at 17 percent unemployment in this country so there is going to be a post-covid recession wave of addiction and mental illness problems yeah. that we're going to have to be prepared for and you're going to be you're right that it's going to be prepared for in a new way and what do i think some of those new ways are i i think that telehealth is here to stay i think a lot of the telehealth whether it's been counseling whether it's been zoom meetings whether it's been that you got your mat prescription you know without having to go in for your first i think a lot of those things are likely 
to be here to stay, perhaps with a little more oversight than we have now yeah. on the on the MAT front. I sure hope so. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, so that if you know if you're going to give somebody a 28 day supply of methadone, that you make sure that you co-prescribe naloxone at the same time, that kind of thing, mm. um, which is not necessarily happening now, mm. or that you just give them naloxone mm. at the same time. If you're going to give them, you know, certain high dose, mm -hmm. um, high doses of products that have opiates in them, I think naloxone needs to go with, and I think it needs to go with, without them having to pay a lot of money for it. Um, those kinds of things, along with state medical board oversight, I think will be, um, hopefully, if those kinds of things stay, that that'll be a part of what stays too, or what starts too. Um, so I think those are some of the ways in which I think the field will change. I think the other thing is, is that we have on the advocacy front, um, we've gotten some money in this most recent stimulus package for mental health, about 200 million or more for SAMHSA programs, SAMHSA being the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. That's the name of the agency. That's not me misusing language. Um, <laughs> we, um, and so I think that that's a drop in the bucket as to what will be needed. So I think there's going to be many of us that are going to have a post-COVID recession wave Anybody who goes to a grocery store right now, all you have to do is look around. And I've never seen so many people, the bottom of people's carts filled with booze and alcohol before. I mean, 10 o'clock on a mm -hmm. Tuesday morning, all the, you know, stay at home moms that I don't normally see because I'm in D.C., yeah. their carts are filled with wine and beer. I mean, just filled to the brim. Now, that may be because they're only shopping once a week or trying to stay out of grocery stores. But the fact that alcohol is an essential service that ABC stores have been, but recovery meetings aren't. I mean, we got a little something. <laughs> and so I was really pleased <laughs> with advocates the other night who got out and, um, you know, fought for that right, that as we start thinking about phase one reopening in our state, that they start considering the, the needs of people um, in or seeking recovery from addiction as part of that rollout of phase one. Yeah. And, and we have a doctor as a governor here we in do. Virginia. We do. Um, and, and he's, uh, would you say he's been favorable towards the recovery community here in Virginia in general? You know, I would say he's been about um, typical for Virginia governors. I think he has not, this has not been his, um, personal passion, this mm -hmm. issue has not been his top priority. And so I think he's let the department um, kind of, you know, run the plays on this. I think one of the things that has gone well is that with the state targeted response dollars that Virginia has received, more peers are being used in, the, in emergency departments than ever before in the state. And I think the state under his leadership through the Virginia Department of Behavioral Health and, you know, Mike Zohab's leadership there. Um, there are more peers being used in this state than ever before, peers at CSBs. Um, do I think that if they have waiting lists, they ought to be contracting with outsiders who have peers more often? Yes, I do. But at least they've got peers in emergency departments and they have recognized that peers play a valuable role 
in our workforce. So I congratulate them on that. One of the bills that goes into effect here in Virginia in July, um, it, it was watered down from the initial, I, I have to, I have to say it was watered down, but is the Danny's bill. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, was it Senate bill 908 or 903? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm forgetting who was the patron, but the bill essentially all it asks is for the department of health here in Virginia mm -hmm. to create consistent protocols for dealing with substance use related emergencies. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and, I'm great. It's great that we can celebrate that victory. But to me, it's just so astounding that that's the victory we're celebrating when there's so much more we need to do. And one of the reasons I, I, I went, I actually went with a couple of people and we, we, um, and we went and talked about that bill. I actually testified with, uh, with Julie, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Funk, I forget her last name. It's mm -hmm. Funk something, but she's mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, Danny's uh, wife. Yeah. Or, yeah. And one of the reasons I, I was so adamant about being a part of that is because I want us to continue to be part of the mm -hmm. conversation mm -hmm. when the Board of Health starts creating those protocols. Yes. And making sure that we can put PRSs or peer recovery coaches in there and making sure that we don't have these incredible barriers to having those jobs because many yeah. of us in sub, you know, who have substance use related have uh, the barrier, the barrier, the barrier mm -hmm. crimes that go, mm -hmm. uh, go along with that. Yes. So, you know, there's a lot to do um, all over the country. Everywhere. Mm -hmm. But but Virginia does have the the barrier laws, and not every state does. So that would be a good um, advocacy objective, I think, for us to have up for the next session. Yeah, well, and that's I know something that was been, that has been worked on. I mean that and that bill, um, that Danny's bill. I'm I'm excited about that, uh, and see where we go with that. Um, what other questions do we have for Carol? We've got a few more minutes left. <laughs> well, let's look at actually what have we got over here? So. Uh, John Schinholzer, do you know that guy? Yeah, I do. Uh, what does he say? The tip of the spear, Carol McDade. <laughs> I love the it. Tip of the spear. <laughs> you know, I, I am always going to use that expression now. I, I love that expression. Um, love the Mick, John says. I like yep. that. Carol, yep. you are a hero. I can't read that. I'm sorry. Carol, you are a hero to me. This mom is so grateful for the vision you and John brought to life at the McShin Foundation. Well, Debbie, I got to <laughs> say back, I'm sorry, but you have been such a such a leader in the family recovery movement. And we're so grateful for all that you've done, not only for the participants at McShin, but for families all over America. And we, we I salute, salute the work that you've done and continue to do both here at McShin and nationally. So thank you. And Debbie is going to be on uh, the podcast. She is going to be on with you on Friday. On yeah. Friday, yeah, yeah. So Debbie's doing Family Fridays at nine o'clock um, for for getting the herd with Alex and and I believe she's got some other special guests. Well. Debbie had an awesome T-shirt awesome. last time with yeah. the cotton naloxone on it. There you go. Yeah. I mean, Debbie's an unsung hero. You got to mm -hmm. tap her because mm -hmm. she knows a lot. Yeah, she's awesome. And she's like put bags together for families who who have had kids overdose. Yeah. And brings them to the hospital when they're like sitting, vig holding vigil bedside and stuff. And I mean, the stuff that they've done. And you know, um, John and I toyed with I'm tell him writing a, <laughs> writing a book um, together, but, which he hates doing stuff with me because I proof and edit and you know all that. But the <laughs> I, chapter I wrote was as called an editor. I appreciate Start, <laughs> starch white handkerchief because I watched John so many times pull a white handkerchief out to a father who was losing a kid yeah. in a 
the hallway of a hospital and he would hand it to him and Debbie <clears throat> and her other colleagues on the family council would be in sometimes with the mother and have blankets and water and aspirin and other things that they need to sit bedside. And, you know, a lot of men don't really like crying in public and John would pull out that starched white handkerchief and, um, and hold these fathers as they just broke down and cried and um, doing that work over and over and over again. Sometimes um, how he held up during that time where he's sort of the, the mayor of overdoses in Richmond, where he'd be asked to speak at funeral after funeral, mm. after funeral, after funeral. And um, the strength that that takes is not something that I have. I was able to do about like one every other weekend. I couldn't do it just for a while there when fentanyl first hit, it was just boom, 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 boom. And you have to remember that sometimes when John's a jerk, that that's what he's been doing for the last five years is holding people up at funerals. Yeah. Does it's that beautiful. excuse everything? No. <laughs> <laughs> for, but, for the record, John, since you're watching, I don't think you're a jerk. But, but th that's what he's done is basically sucked every drop of support that he possibly had within him. Not just hope for y'all yeah. and us, but transmitted strength and support and holding people up, families who have lost loved ones or almost did or that kind of thing, or chased off people who were trying to harvest the organs of people that weren't dead um, because that happens too, unfortunately. I mean, both good and bad, sometimes too soon and other times appropriately. But. Well, that's that's beautiful because my grandfather actually like always said to us that 90% of life is just showing up, it's it just, is. which is just being there for someone being there. can can be a great, huge impact on someone. You're absolutely right. And sometimes not you don't even have to say anything mm -hmm. just to be there yeah. or just the handkerchief. So the guy's got a little respect to cover his face when he's mm -hmm. crying. Absolutely. Yeah. A little dignity. I think I think that's that's that what you just said about not having to say something um, and just being there. What you both said, I think that's one thing that I've am learning here. I won't say I've learned. I'm learning here. Um, so often I'm try to fill the silence with words, mm -hmm. and it's just it doesn't happen, it, and it can't happen. There's, um, yeah. <laughs> less is more less is more um you know we're coming up on a death anniversary in a couple of days for for, for i think one of the only times i've seen john cry and joseph. Uh, joseph who happens to be the person who had my job before me mm -hmm. and you know there's a lot around that 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 i remember um you know another part of that is i had just taken the job you know uh, after joseph left this job and i had just painted the office and right after he died, um, a girlfriend of mine and I were in the office and we were burning sage, mm -hmm. you know, after I'd painted it mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. sort of doing a cleansing of the office and mm -hmm. the spirit, you know, mm -hmm. whatever mm -hmm. there. Yeah. You know? yeah. And as we were doing that, we both received a phone call at the same time and it was another overdose death. Um, and so it's the, the, that that getting up, showing up, suiting up, showing up, suiting mm -hmm. up and showing up and, and mm -hmm. watching the people around me continue to do that and still continue to give and give and give gives me hope, you know, gives me um, purpose. Mm 
Yeah. And and I'm I'm grateful for that. I'm very grateful for that. So um just real quick, uh, uh Mike Todd actually was wondering to know wanting to know if you are gonna be speaking at Mobilize Recovery this year. Um uh, I'm definitely gonna go. I don't know if I'll be speaking there, but I'll definitely attend. <sighs> Honesty is showing. I didn't know this, but today would have been Joe's birthday. Oh, yeah. Joe was a sweetheart. He um, was. He really was a, a good, a good guy. Um, and you know, we go on. You know, we go on. Um, Connie, what does Connie say there? Thank you for being so raw and honest, Carol, and acknowledging that there are many levels of this disease to realize and manage your disease. Mm -hmm. um, Connie, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. Wow, we still have some. We still have a lot of people watching. That's pretty cool. So, Carol, you don't know. We may you may not know what we do with this. So, this um, is done Facebook Live, and yep. it's still available. This gets converted into a podcast, um, and then sent out over. I think is it nine platforms, Todd, including Spotify, iTunes, and whatever other magical things are out there. No, so I didn't even know that. We didn't know. Yeah, no. you know they do. <laughs> and actually, the the Spotify version is already making money. Like I think what are we up to like seventy four cents at this point? <laughs> literally, literally last week when I checked, it was at seventy five cents. Yeah, there we go. Just, a, just really a get rich quick yeah. scheme, right? Well, there we yeah. go. We can get some check mix from downstairs. But it's, it's actually kind of counterbalanced, like the Facebook. Like the Facebook end, our demographic is primarily you know women, seventy yeah. percent women. Yeah. You know, thirty five to you know thirty five to fifty five. But like the the podcast are predominantly men, yeah. so I don't Isn't know if that, that just means that Nathan's listening to all of them over and over again. No, I can't. Leave or, I can't but, listen to myself <laughs> at all. Actually, yeah. I can't so, but you know, it's seventy five cents worth of listening there, Nathan. You need yeah. to listen. You need to boost it up. A yeah, bit. I'll tell you what. <laughs> now, I did want to mention I I sit on the board, which is kind of funny given how old I am, um, of young people in recovery, <laughs> and um, yeah, I know. I'm not laughing at yeah. you. <clears throat> I'm laughing with you. Um, and there are a lot of, there are young people on the board too. I'm just not one of them. Um, and I always used to have to kind of preface that when I was board chair. Um, <laughs> I'm not young, but I am the board chair of young people in recovery. Um, but one of the things that I'm interested in, they are doing a lot of all recovery meetings now where people in, any type of recovery can join um, meetings online and they also have them at their chapter meetings. And so if somebody's got, you know, they're an Al-Anon or if they're a person that has a problem with food or whatever, whatever type of recovery you're in, you can go to these meetings. The other thing that um, I'd love y'all's opinion on is what you see as your role in unifying the field. And yeah. I am looking at you, Nathan, because I don't know you well enough yet <laughs> to put you on the spot like that. Yeah. Um, one of the things that is um, that I've worked hard my entire career is to make the addiction recovery community a constituency of consequence in Washington. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that when tables like this, when staff are sitting around drafting bills, that they call us and say, what do y'all want or need in them? Mm -hmm. When members are thinking about which piece of the healthcare system needs fixing, 
that that thing. Oh yeah, the behavioral health system too. Yeah. Not just people with mental retardation, not just people with cardiac problems that they think of people with addiction and mental health problems also. And in my view, um, a lot of us have worked a long time to make that happen. And it's threatened by lack of unity amongst some of it's, it may not be threatened because if we keep having people die and there's this second wave of COVID, as I've mentioned, that when the unemployment rate goes up, the suicide and yeah. addiction rates go up, which is a fact. We know that because we studied data from 2007 to 2009 and it, that, that happened. But what, what do you think your role is in helping to unify the field? We, there's a lot of petty disagreements among the national and state and local organizations and that does not get the job done. Yeah. And then people also, I find young people, they want their own brand. They want their own brand. And part of the unity that we talk about, both in 12-step philosophy and in coalition building, is that you don't have to like everybody in a coalition. You don't have to like them at all. You have to find one or two things that are either a common interest or a common threat and you set aside the other things you don't like about the people or the organizations or whatever. And you just focus like crazy on those one or two things yeah. and you develop a plan and you implement it and you leave all that other stuff at the door before you walk into the coalition meeting. Well, the combination of everybody wanting their own brand, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. It's obviously great because y'all expanded you know, what you do with social media. And we talked about how dropping the lines in the water connects with more people, but you still can't sacrifice that for the good of the greater order and the, and the movement itself. And so what do you view as your role in unifying the field going forward so that we can keep addiction recovery community as a constituency of consequence in this country that can help shape that for the future? What do you think your role is? So I have to say, Carol, that's a that's an incredible question. And uh, um, somebody was on last week. You also asked me a very poignant and 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 unexpected question. So I I, I love this back and forth, um, which is just me stalling right now to answer your question. Really. No, that's fine. I get that it takes some thought, and may, you might not be able to answer it today, but I hope you'll give it some thought. Well, I I, I appreciate that, and and because you're it, <laughs> you're carrying the torch. One one thing for me, um, I recognize that when my ego flares up, and it does, mm -hmm. I am less effective. Mm -hmm. I am a, I'm less effective. Me too. And less helpful. And I and I and I I know that to satisfy my ego, I want to be more effective. It's mm -hmm. a like, mm -hmm. so I know that when I when I put my ego aside, or when I recognize that my ego is flaring up, mm -hmm. and I and I'm I'm be much better. At, at, and when I when I bring other people to the table, but you know when do we you know dilute the message, dilute what we're doing, you know just to 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 appease mm -hmm. one little part of a constituency. Mm -hmm. You know when does mm -hmm. the message get lost? Mm -hmm. um, you know I, I these I, are tough questions. It's yeah. I experience well by keep suiting up and showing up and getting up every time I fail. There was a, a pretty spectacular, and, and I won't go into it on the podcast, but I had a, a pretty spectacular um, 
um, what I saw was a pretty spectacular loss uh, from the last session mm-hmm. um, that that occurred because I, I I kept my eye off something, mm-hmm. and you know, and and John and I, you know, both, you know, we talked about this mm-hmm. afterwards, and I think he he kind of didn't see it coming either, and afterwards we we sort of I I've said, well, shoot, I I, I didn't see this coming, you know, and I really wanted to give up. There was a part of me that was like. Ugh. Man, if this is what it is, you know, I don't want to do this anymore because I'm not effective. That's what I thought, you know. And I recognize that by by recognizing the mistake, you know, because I can look at successes I had, you know, personally had. Um, one of those being chasing down the committee chair, you know, because we did weren't sure we were going to have the votes on something, and that Absolutely. was a huge, huge win. You know, just by yeah. by watching and observing and mm-hmm. and. And not trying to do what others are doing, but also trying to see how others can can come in and mm-hmm. and to use the words of Michael King, who's going to be here tomorrow, mm-hmm. you know, speaking to the leaders in others, mm-hmm. you know, empowering others to 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 continue to grow and to to do things, you know, like for instance, you know, um, it was a project with John Winslow, who was a guest yesterday mm-hmm. on the show, mm-hmm. um, with the International uh, Recovery Day, Day yeah. in September, September thirtieth, mm-hmm. and yeah. John. Uh, John, you know, put put that asked me about that a couple months ago, and I said, "Well, I don't know what the heck to do, and I don't have time for this, mm-hmm. and this seems like a really cool project." But uh, you know, hey, Alex, you know, and Alex jumped on it, and not only did Alex jump on it, but he's going to have pretty much the whole globe lit up in purple in September. And, awesome! And, and and that's to me, it's like, okay, I haven't done anything other than to pass on and say, "Hey, would you like to do this?" And oh, it could be fun and cool, and that's it. You know, he took on and and and. It doesn't have to be about me. No, you know, and 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 empowering people is very important. Yeah. Like it, it, it made me feel good. Just and to be, celebrating just to, him. that very first Ooh. one that I got, I was like, I'm gonna have a tower in Arizona that's purple because <laughs> of me. Isn't that cool, guys? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then it turned into you know 80 different places in in, in a matter yeah. of months, and that meant a lot to be given that sort of opportunity and sandbox to just play in a little bit. Yeah. And you celebrate him and celebrate his successes, and his successes are your successes. Mm-hmm. And honoring my own successes too, you know, yeah. that as, as in recovery, we celebrate when people yeah. do well, yeah. you got to do that. You know, you got to do that. You work a 12 step fellowship. I think I we do. all do, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, in, in early recovery, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a one day chip or yeah. tag, you know, there's yeah. a 30 day, yeah. a 60 day, you know, cause we celebrate those victories, which are so important for somebody like me who didn't feel like I had any self-worth for so long. And to realize that I, you know, to be empowered by the people here, but really by, you know, greater the mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. to be empowered to to find my voice and to continue to grow and learn and get up when I fail, you know, to, to not fall asleep and to continue to, you know, I love what you were saying about having the people on your couches because I'm a house leader, as you probably mm-hmm. know, and I know Alex is a house leader. I don't think I've ever done anything more fulfilling in my life. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and I, I'm disappointed in myself when I, when I, when I, when I'm not as available as I could be, you know, mm-hmm. yesterday, somebody wanted me to do something in the evening. I'm like, I'm beat. I'm tired. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I have to go to bed. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like he wanted to go and, and, and he found another way to go to where he was yeah. going to do. But when I'm not available for other people, I'm it's I'm Yeah. What I do is tell people, I don't just say no, but I say when I will be available. So yeah. I might say, I can't talk to you tonight because it's 1130 and, and I'm shot. I wouldn't be any good for you, mm-hmm. but I can talk to you tomorrow at da, da, da. And I find that no, but yes, at this time 
is a lot more satisfying to people and remind you of those opportunities to help. And you know, I started off in a recovery house too. So that I, I didn't was, know that I did. Oh. I did. I did. I did. I started off at an Oxford house in Wheaton, Maryland. We I know Wheaton. Okay. Yep, sure did. And yeah. I thought I was a DC girl that it was downtown and dark and <laughs> scary. And you know, <laughs> I was out in the burbs and you know, they had to um I kept getting fines for not doing my chores. And I would like slap my $25 debt fine money down on the table and head to DC, which was, I don't know, 25, 30 miles, which in DC is kind of long. It's a long way away. And I insisted on only going to meetings in the city. And of course the girls in the house, the women in the house were about up to here with me because I didn't want to admit, I didn't know how to clean a toilet. Yeah. So it was easier just to pay the fine and act like a little snot. <laughs> I, I didn't know how to make it sparkle like they were like no way I, I just didn't learn you know I mean it, yeah so they taught me it's funny you mentioned that because as a house leader I purposely assign myself one of the bathrooms every week because I want to make sure that nobody can say well you're not doing anything no I'm like no 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 you're going to do your chore. <laughs> yeah. But don't rob somebody of the opportunity who may not. Yeah. I give everyone learned. chores because I love empowering them. Yeah. Because you could have someone like me that never learned. And mm -hmm. literally, I got that skill at that Oxford house. We, we have three bathrooms at our house. Yeah. Okay. There's, so there's, there's plenty to go around. Plenty, yeah. yeah. Good. Good. I'll tell you. And, and we eat. As you can see, we eat. This is yes. this. This right here is the COVID-19. I know. <laughs> oh, God, God. We've all got it. Oh. Oh, I'll tell you. I've broke my foot on a dog toy. So I've got like double trouble of the snacking and the uh, mm. I limited workout. That. I forgot. Yeah. I, we made yeah. you come all the way upstairs. It's no, it's all good. It could have got... Believe me, I, I'm counting my steps. <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally. I'll, I got to get exercise any way I can. Mm. It's broken foot. So it's all good. I, I really appreciate that question. I'll, I will continue to think about that. Because um, you guys are the future. I have a quick answer. Very, yeah, very quick. Good, one. good. I think it's a matter of um, a demographic and perspective. Yeah. Because you know, a lot of a lot of diseases affect a certain population of people. Yep. But the disease of addiction doesn't care about your tax bracket. Mm -mm. It Not doesn't care about the color of your skin, nope. your sexual orientation. Nope. How old you are. Nope. It literally covers every bounds. And I think the quicker, quickest, sadly, the quickest way that you could tell people that is that I can guarantee you know someone out of 100 people of your friends or family that has it and you may not know it. Mm -hmm. That'd be the quick answer for me. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of opening people's eyes to that. Yeah. Um, because when when we've advocated, we've had people come up to us and say, what you're doing is so important. This affects me on it. Yeah. Or, you, or my loved one on a daily level. It's like, you well, almost, tell the person you're working for. <laughs> you almost never run into anyone now mm -hmm. that doesn't already tell you Absolutely. that they know someone that has this problem. And if they do, it's usually a shame-based issue yeah. with that person rather than that they. But they're like the black sheep. Yeah. yeah. Or that they're just, they've internalized some shame about the illness from somebody or that maybe it's their fault. So they don't want to admit to it or, sure. you know, they have that misnomer, but you know, you bring people along mm -hmm. hopefully. Well, that, 
that's that that uh, the work that you've done to get past that anonymity, you know, to because the own our own shame, our own feelings of blame. I'll speak for everybody. No, I'll speak for myself. My own feelings of shame and blame, you know, still can creep in and uh, affect how I interact with other people. So get in, get in the way. Yes. It gets in the way. And we um, also have to be careful. There are some people that must stay anonymous. I mean, if you work in a, you know, uh, and not to judge them for that. If you work in a thing where you've got top security clearance, you can't run around and put a face on recovery. Sure, right. But yeah. it doesn't mean right. that there's not a place for you in our movement. Mm -hmm. Right. You're the behind the scenes person. You're just not the person that's up testifying. So it's not right for everybody. If you've only got 30 or 60 days clean, you probably shouldn't be testifying before the state legislature. Right. It's not probably the best place because then if you, unfortunately, if you have a relapse, which is part of this illness, it is the whole, you know, discredit of some sort. Yeah. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. sadly, it can reflect badly um, on whatever the co particular cause was that you were testifying for. So there are um, people in places that for whatever reason can't, or it's not time yet for them to be out about their recovery. And we have to let them be where they are. And if they want to be part of the movement, give them other ways in which they can serve, which are just endless you know, stuffing flyers during general assembly, um, you know, volunteering at one of the booths during the recovery fest. I mean, we always have volunteer jobs at McShin and uh, there's always ways you can be part of the ways that you can help. Yeah. There's, there's, you just reminded me, I have to do something when I, when we're done here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of volunteers, uh, sorry, Jennifer. Okay. So, <laughs> Um, volunteers, uh, take care of some hours for her. Um, we are, are we really at one twenty? Yeah. Oh my goodness. This, we could continue for like two more hours. Easily. No, easily. don't let me, don't let, let me hold you guys <laughs> no, up. I'm no, sure no. you've got other things you need to do. Well, no, no. I just, um, <laughs> that's amazing. Um, South Carolina is so far behind today. I'm looking at the comments here. We need to stop fighting amongst ourselves. That's true. At, uh, as to what recovery is. I'm sorry, I can't. There we go. Yeah. Thank you. And get the egos out of the way to find alignment of priorities. Yep. Yeah, that's right, Paul. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think this is probably a good way to segue into uh, closing this down. One thing I like to ask uh, at the very end, you know, we, we talked about where we're going, you know, we, and I think that could actually be another conversation, a, lo a longer conversation. But before I close off, I, I want to ask you if you have anything to say to, to, to have any final thoughts. I know you're going to be on again in a couple of days. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So just a quick preview um, for, you know, I think I mentioned that there was a, a law passed in 2008 that became fully effective in 2014. You'll hear it called colloquially the parity mm -hmm. law. And that law guarantees people who have commercial insurance or Medicaid managed care the right to have your medical coverage be equal to or on par with your your behavioral health coverage for addiction and mental health to be equal to the medical coverage covered under your health insurance plan, whether you have, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Cigna, Aetna United, or whether you have Magellan under our Medicaid managed care plan in our state. And um, 
even though we have that law, it oftentimes, as I mentioned, is ignored. And so um, myself and Melissa McCarthy, who is an expert in the addiction treatment field, I'm going to talk a little bit about kind of a consumer's guide on if you're trying to access addiction or mental health service and you get your appeal denied, what you do, mm. how do you fight for your rights? You don't just say, take no for an answer. Mm. And so what I'm going to do is try to give some people some really practical, concrete tips on how to fight your insurance company. If they say no, you know, you're paying premiums out of your pocket, right? Even if it's employer based, you're still paying a nice chunk. So how do you get the coverage you deserve and that you're entitled to for those premiums you're paying? I'm going to give you the practical side and Melissa is going to give you the perspective from the what providers, how they can fight to get their the services they provide covered. And I'm going to talk about it a little bit from the family and the individual side about how to do a good appeal, what that means. And I'll have some resources that you guys can put up for people so that they can go to a toolkit cool. to uh, take a look. That's awesome. Thanks. So that's Saturday. Yeah. Saturday at nine o'clock. Yes. Uh, be there, be square. On Get in the Herd after hours. <laughs> After hours. <laughs> you faked me out there. I thought I was going to get the, you know, I thought the whole thing was going to be, but no, no. You, you mixed it up a little on me. You threw me off. There. You got to, you got to keep Does it. Does Todd usually get to say the after oh, no, no, hours no, part? No, no, no. This is, oh. this is my thing. It's the oh, okay. after hours. Oh, okay. Very good. <laughs> um, thank you so much. And, of course. And uh, any final thoughts, young man? It has been an absolute pleasure. Oh, good. <laughs> what a great first like formal meeting. Yeah, honestly, it's cool. I know it's like doing my whole like bio with you or something. I know. I feel like Couldn't we're go any better. friends for life now. <laughs> <laughs> Except for now, you got to give me the download about you after the, we're done. That reminds me. Um, I'll be on tomorrow. So. Oh, oh, I'll get the download oh, yeah, then. Yeah, with Michael King. That's right. So, okay. yeah. And what's neat is that because we had this conversation and because I had the conversation with John, Jesse and Honesty yesterday, which was really more John and a little and, and Honesty, a little bit of Jesse, um, we have history here. Like I can go back and reference these and I'm looking forward to doing that um, yeah. to, to hear because I have not listened to any of the shows I've done. Yeah. These are the two I want to listen to. Yeah. You know, I want to hear these again and, and absorb more of the information. Then there's so many more questions I have, but we're, we're way over the normal yeah. time that we have. So well, sorry, no, sorry, sorry. Stop, please. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> I, I would love to continue. Um, what I want to say again is thank you. Um, Todd, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, just real quick. We have uh, tomorrow night, we also have Getting Heard with Alex and Frank, and they're going to have Debbie. And uh, <laughs> was that a whisper? Is that what it was? It was? <laughs> so Debbie, Debbie's going to be on with uh, Debbie Rosenbaum and Ed uh, Rosenbaum are going to be on. And then also Connie, I'm sorry. I, I don't want, yeah, I don't want mm -hmm. to butcher her last yeah. name. So she's going to be on as well. Oh, great. Oh, Good. That's so, going to be a great so, show. So, yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there real quick. So Family unit. Family Alex Bond, double whammy tomorrow. Family Fridays. Rock. I love that. And and so important in recovery. Just real quick, Betty did ask a question here, real quick, but okay. I'll just try to get it answered after we go off the air because okay. she asked about how providers become eligible, trained to take insurance for payment and services, quick launch guide, et cetera. Great. So I'll 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 get your answer. I'll shoot her a yeah, yeah, I'll give you who she can email. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. Excellent. So um, the one thing and sort of a thing that I like to do at the end of every show is ask our guests, what are you grateful for today? 
I am grateful for, I have um, a beautiful backyard this spring, which has been one of the silver linings of COVID. And it has been a group effort between my husband and my girlfriend, Tammy and I, and uh, many, many people at McShin who also have helped garden, rake, mow, definitely a, a collective effort. But as a result, we have this beautiful backyard. So I'm grateful for that. And I am grateful that I get to see the fruits of the labor when I come down and I, I meet people like I get to meet people like Alex who I haven't met before and see that it gives me great hope for the future that it'll that the legacy that John John and I started will continue mm -hmm. and that uh as I guess Ted Kennedy say the work goes on mm -hmm. you know it's the spirit will live live and continue and um and I'm also grateful to um you know, be invited because I, I get, I intentionally sort of stay out of the way here, but it's nice to be included in things from time to time. So I'm grateful for that too, for right. being invited. You can come anytime. You can Thank come down you. here anytime. Well, you know this, but I, I don't need to tell you that, but please come down anytime. Alex, hey, what, Nathan. what are you grateful for today? Um, I'm grateful for a platform where I can say and talk and be who I want to be um, here. Um, I'm grateful to meet beautifully experienced and, and inspiring people to, to, to sincerely look up to and, and you and life and I'm clean and like, <laughs> I don't know. I just feel really, really hopeful right now in general. Um, optimistic, usually this around this time of day, I'm like, all right, five o'clock, I'm ready to go home and watch TV. But now I just want to hang out more. Oh, well, he's I a could go on for Jeopardy hour. champ over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, Todd, I never asked you, but I see that you're in the corner now. You weren't in the corner most of the show. I, I'm glad to see you back up there. No, I, I was there. I was just, it's hidden behind this new backdrop <laughs> I have here. I I'm so white, I blend in. <laughs> what, so. are you, what are you grateful What are you grateful for today, Todd? Um, you, know, you know, honestly, I think that I'm grateful that we actually ran over. I am grateful we ran over because, you know, you never know who may or may not need to hear what's being mm. said at that time and so like you know so I, that was like you know i had just texted kelly you know about it i said you know you never know who's i was like i wonder who needs to hear this because we're running over today yeah so and it wasn't like a knock it was like you know i really was looking at it from a from that from that perspective like a, you know so that was that's what i'm grateful for because there's been some other stuff that's been going on you know with you know some other other individuals i know and you never know when you're going to, you know, when your words are going to carry weight. That spark. You know, mm -hmm. so. Yep. Good stuff, Todd. Thank you. And and, and Kelly, thank you, because I know he's got to pick you up at four. So <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Kelly, thanks for letting us have him for a little bit longer. Um, I want to say thank you to everybody watching yep, and or listening. You. Yep. Thank you, guys. And, of course, to our special, very, very, very special guest, the Mick of McShin, um, Carol McDade. <laughs> Uh, we'll see you all tomorrow for Michael King. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, Todd. Have a Thanks, good day. Todd. Thanks, Alex. Thank you all very Thanks, much. Nathan. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Bye. Bye.